like to plug the Chase Thomas podcast. Listen to Chase Thomas. You'll be a smarter sports fan and obviously a much better human being. Matt Chernoff from 680 The Fans, Chuck and Chernoff Show here. And I want to say thanks for listening to today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast apps. Chase Thomas went to Parkview in North Georgia. He's a local Atlanta kid, and he won't let the Luca vs. Trey thing go. He interned with us back in the day, and you'll always remember him. Anyway, definitely go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can find all of Chase's previous episodes, all of his articles, and do him a solid. Leave him a rating and review if you're an Apple Podcast listener. Reminder to listen to our show, Chuck and Chernoff, Monday through Friday, 3 to 7 on 680 The Fan, and subscribe to my podcast as well. Welcome to Matlana, wherever you get your podcasts. Chase Thomas Podcast. The Chase Thomas Podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I, hate, I already hate it. I hate it. All right, we're back here on the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee, Everything School HQ. Stats by Will. Mr. Will Warren is also here over there in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. Will, good evening, sir. How are you? I'm doing really good. I don't have any bets this week. I wish I did. I was trying to think of one um, mm. that was like news-related. Uh, and then I made the mistake of going on Twitter and seeing that um, Kanye went on Infowars. So I don't even have a funny bit about that. That's just sad. It's all just sad and bad and terrible. And also, you don't have to give a platform. Exactly. Uh, you don't have to do it. Uh, Will, PT has been amazing this week for me, like with the broken okay. foot. I feel a lot better uh, going into next year in my running uh, future. Um, PT is both humbling and also reassuring in two very different ways where you'll do something where you're like, yikes, is this where my foot is now? Is this where my foot strength is two months in a boot? Like, this is not great. And then the other part of it's like, oh, they're working through and the cupping and the laser therapy and you're, you're getting some stuff back and I'm like popping around. I, I jumped, I'm like jumping around and getting more and more comfortable with that. And you just, I'm starting to feel more and more like how I was pre- pre-injury and you don't realize that you've just lost that mentally there's so much mental so many minute so many minute wow so many mental mental hurdles uh that you have to kind of get there to get back and um i don't know it's it's been very illuminating for me uh to go through this process but highly recommend pt because uh it's it's not something you can just throw dirt on, uh, folks. It's okay to get help and to uh, admit that you cannot physically get yourself back, and you want to feel your best self. And it's been it's been great. Yeah, no, that's that sounds fun. I yeah. have never done it myself. I, my grandfather did. He fell asleep on his arm once, and he couldn't feel it the next morning. Um, wow. So we like we took him to PT and whatnot. And I only remember this because one, they let you just squeeze stress balls the whole time you're there, which I really <laughs> like because I just like having something in my hands. Yeah. That's why I'm playing with a little pair of bag clip right now. Yeah. And uh, two, this was like spring, summer 2008. And I remember mm. talking with somebody there about how a uh, man who no one has talked about in 14 years, Gerald Jones, should be Tennessee's quarterback uh, because they could run the triple option with him. There you go. This was right before they went five and seven. So maybe that was actually a good take. I like it. Um, it is too, it, it is weird too. I will tell you that like, I didn't know it was going out like tendon pain is such a weird thing. And I don't know if you've ever felt this with your foot, but like they're massaging the tendon 
out because I thought it, I didn't know if it was bone or tendon thing, but like, sh- like just sh- the force will. Like I am like wincing and like it, it. It's a weird feeling where it's like this feels good that you're working this out, but also like it's extremely painful and I'm like gripping the the poses. Like why should a tendon hurt that much? But it's like it's amazing how the foot and just I've learned so much about what's all connected and how all this works. But goodness gracious, uh, I would not wish this recovery and this whole process on uh, my worst enemy because you take your feet for granted man you're on them all the time and you mess it up pretty bad and uh it's a a long road back but you know we're we're getting there a day at a time a day at a time and i've told them and been very clear about it like treat me no less than you would have treated michael jordan in 1985 uh, when he had the (laughs) same injury that's what i want i want the same experience um will speaking of michael michael jordan 1985 uh the 2022 tennessee volunteers many are saying are the team version of michael jordan in the mid to late 80s with the chicago bulls um another big time coach being like yeah i mean they have some final four potential in bill self um Mm -hmm. a lot of folks around the league are like "Uh, this is uh this is not fun at the very the bare minimum Nobody wants to play Tennessee. Make me state, figure that out yesterday where Tennessee put them in a blender and 40 points total uh, for the Cowboys uh, in Knoxville. But I think it's just extremely impressive. I am a little concerned about Triple J's outlook um, because I think this is just going to be a problem for the year. Knee injuries and stuff like this, knee issues, I don't think evaporate in the middle of a basketball season like he's gonna have to trust his knee at some point and i don't know he's missed some big games now he's not been right all year long it was bothering him i think what for a month before the season so uh he's been in and out of the lineup and obviously not available this week we'll see when he comes back but um what have you seen they won atlantis since we've been away uh beat kansas a lot of big wins uh for the tennessee volunteers they have not lost since we last recorded will which hey many are saying that we are the good luck charm here but what are you seeing with the tennessee volunteers and uh with uh their win streak and what they've been able to do defensively and just against their quality of of opponents so in the triple j thing i think part of it is they don't need him right now like you don't need him against mcneese state or alcorn or whoever the third opponent is next week, Eastern Kentucky. Mm-hmm. If he isn't playing against Maryland, then I will actually be a little worried. Uh, I wasn't, I mean, like if, if he got to Atlanta and he was just like, Hey guys, my knee doesn't feel hundred mm-hmm. percent. Then I'd rather not risk him in November than risk him. And then this, you know, takes him out in January for say, yeah, for example. But I mean, as for the on court stuff, like this looks like the best defense in college basketball. Uh, I mean, I think it's going to be a knockdown drag it out battle all the way to the finish for nerds like me, uh, but also probably for the team's pride uh, as to who is the actual best defense. It's going to be between them, Texas, and Houston. And I think it might just be that way the whole year. All hmm. three of them are just absolute meat grinders to play against. I mean, it says something that the only team that really kind of cracked the Tennessee code, and I wouldn't even say they did because they really were very inefficient was USC and Atlantis. Hmm. And it was just because Boogie Ellis had, you know, maybe, I mean, at minimum, one of the three best shooting nights of his career. And these were difficult shots he was hitting. It wasn't like Tennessee was giving up easy looks. Um, so, and, you know, Kansas, I think we're, we've kind of come to the conclusion Kansas might be down this year in the sense that Kansas is going to be like a four seed in March, which hmm. that's quite amazing. That's your down year, by the way. Um, but, it's still Kansas, and it still means a lot to hold Kansas to 50 points. 
And to do something that no other opponent had done, which is, I mean, really for the full 40, shut Jalen Wilson down. Mm. I mean, I think Jalen Wilson ended up one for eight from the field, at least on jumpers. Uh, And Tennessee was just like, take as many as you want, man. Because they scouted it out before. They knew the thing you want is to let him not get to the rim, force as many jumpers as possible. And aside from that, they exploited like Kansas really doesn't have that third option beyond Wilson and Grady Dick. They just stuck a man on Grady Dick and said, face guard him, don't let him loose. Mm. And Dick still had a couple tough shots, but I mean, the amount of good looks he got off was very, very minimal in that game. So I think that this is like the great golden mean of, you know, an excellent system, excellent coaching, and a really experienced roster that's all coming together at the right time for, I mean... If this team doesn't finish top three in Ken Palm defense at year's end, I'd be a little surprised. And if you're top three, basically regardless of what the offense does, you're going to be right in the mix right at the end. It's like we've been saying for months now. It's about the process. You just have to be good enough times, and eventually the coin's going to flip your way. Virginia learned this. Mm -hmm. Villanova learned this even. You just have to keep going back. And, I mean, I think the shooting's eventually going to come around. That seems to be like the... The uh, problem for a lot of Tennessee fans right now is Tennessee's not shooting very well, which I get it. But, I mean, they shot really well against Kansas, and they shot pretty well from three against McNeese, actually. I think they ended up at 40%. Mm-hmm. Um, and, honestly, a big part of that, Triple J's out, your best shooter, mm-hmm. your best player. Once your best shooter and best player comes back, I'm going to take a stab at it and say <laughs> things will look better. I know that's really controversial, but I think that's what's coming. Um But I don't think they're going to end up better than like, I mean, barring like a run like last year's, better than 30th or so in Ken Palm offense. But if you're, Hmm. you know, 30th offensively, top three defensively, that's going to be a top 10 team and maybe top five, depending on how others shake out. I think there's a possibility that Phillips is the best five-star one and done in the Rick Barnes era. Maybe. Uh, I still think it's going to be Chandler at day, at season's end, but okay. Phillips is improving, and he took over the um, the USC game in a way that we didn't really see Chandler do post Colorado last year. Like Chandler had some great games, but it was always like, oh, he's the one A with Vescovy one B, or right. he's one A with Triple J one B tonight. That was really just Phillips. I mean, mm-hmm. no one else really stood out for Tennessee in that game, and part of that was just like they missed open shots, but. Um, I mean, he, he looks like I, I would like for him to not airball mid-range twos like he did against <laughs> McNeese State. But mm-hmm. I mean, freshman or freshman, he's going to make mistakes. And for a freshman, and honestly, compared from game one and two to right now, I am shocked at how with it he is defensively. Mm. I uh, I mean, against Colorado, he was the worst defensive player on the floor. He got played off the floor in that game. And you, you push for two weeks, and he's locking down guys on Kansas's roster, locking down guys on USC, making huge defensive plays. And, I mean, he looks like, at minimum, like he's going to be, you know, and we kind of have to, I think people sort of upscale their five-star expectations a little bit based on the best outcomes. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, his 50th percentile outcome right now is, like, good SEC starter. And that is terrific for Tennessee. You need good SEC starters to win games. And I, Barnes trusts him. I think there's just more upside. I think it's also just the – I think he's further along offensively than I thought he would be. And maybe it's just the Keon aspect of it where you just yeah. – uh, 
uh, let's see, um, with a freshman, a true freshman wing in Rick Barnes style. But I just, I think there's more upside where Kennedy Chandler just, the defense was never, like, Phillips can guard one through five. Like, that's yes. just, there's a difference there. And if he's as good as he's been offensively, where if, like, everything else is down or Triple J's out, you can uh, kind of count on him um, to carry the load. But it's also, like, he can carry the load defensively and just, I, I don't know. I think there's real, real upside for him. And I think he is just going to be, he's going to be better and better uh, as the season goes along. And he is just, he's a treat uh, in this Tennessee lineup. So, and the, uh, the other part of this is like the shooting hasn't come around yet. Mm-hmm. This was this is a guy who's a thirty eight percent three point shooter last year in high school. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's two for thirteen right now. When that starts hit, falling, like I think he's really going to take off. Yeah. Um, Cal basketball, the opposite of taking off. Uh, they, <laughs> they, they uh, I'm not going to make the joke. Go on. It's bad. Uh, they had the first zero uh, and six start in team history uh it looks like we said before the year that this was probably it for mark fox i think this is 1000 percent now it for mark fox why is cal few, even few worse than we have thought been as fired as mark fox is <laughs> what's up with this team uh well why are they this uh, bad he should be thankful that no one cares about cal basketball mm-hmm. uh, because if they did it would sure take a lot of heat off of louisville and kenny Payne right now that's true um i mean I don't know what there is to say. They can't shoot. They are. This is what's staggering to me. I rarely, if ever, will you see a high major team rank 319th or worse in both three point percentage and two point percentage. Mm-hmm. They have one of the worst turnover rates in college basketball. They can't rebound, but they can get to the free throw line and hit free throws. So mm-hmm. they got that going for them. I, I do think they are like. And as much as you can be unlucky, I think they might be a little unlucky to be 0-8. Like, they lost by two to UC San Diego, four to Texas State. Like, there's a chance they could have won one of those games. But um, this was a terrible hire when it happened. Very uninspired. Just, like, putting names into Google of, like, you know, well-known basketball coaches who have won games. And, like, yes, he was good at Nevada or whatever, but... Uh, I, it, it wasn't a good hire at the time. It looks even worse now. And the problem for them is they've sunk so low that I don't know who they can get that would actually do it. Um, cause, so I'm going to say objectively, and feel free to disagree, I would say Cal ranks 10th, maybe even 11th in the list of Pac-12 jobs. So hmm. the, the two that would be lower are Washington State and Oregon State. And I just think those are those are two really hard schools to recruit to and sustained success at do you say washington state washington state i think that's a better job there's been success there like Maybe, people have had success. that is just in the middle of nowhere that is yeah. really hard to get good recruits to but Clay i mean Thompson. like you can moneyball it there you're right mm-hmm. um but that's not dead last like i i definitely think oregon state's worse yeah and 10th or 11th that's still enough to fart out a tournament appearance <laughs> every four or five years right mm-hmm just go hire a guy that actually knows California. I know that's a really tough thing to do. God, I mean, it's not, not like it's the biggest state in America or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, find a guy who cares about the job instead of a paycheck chaser. And sorry, but Mark Fox is a paycheck chaser. Um, if you're serious, I would go ask Russell Turner at UC Irvine what his price is. Hmm. Um, that guy constantly has elite two-point defenses plays a really weird style of defense that's like kind of tough to nail down. It's kind of like watching Buzz Williams in a sense. Mm-hmm. And like 
you're not going to get recruits over Stanford even. I think that's pretty obvious. Stanford just got a lot more money and a lot more investment. So go hire somebody. Like, this is your triple option hire. Go hire a weird dude that plays a weird system. Or, like, mm-hmm. go get the former Abilene Christian guy who's now at UTEP, Joe Golding. Um, get a weird system. Force teams to really struggle to prepare for that system on two-day turnarounds. And then go with that. I think that's as good as you can do, given their situation. I don't even know if they're going to do that. I, I don't know. I don't, I, and that's the thing. I don't think Russell Turner would say yes. It's going to be bad. Uh, it's just going to continue to get worse, I think, over there yeah. in Cal. Unfortunately, um, speaking of rough, rough starts, we've piled on Louisville on this podcast. Like Things are really, really bad at Louisville. Another yeah. under-the-radar, just horrific start where we were like, they're not going to be great this year. It's going to be a down year for them. But like FSU is putrid and look Leonard Hamilton probably deserves to keep his job until he does not want to be the FSC basketball coach um but goodness gracious this is bad bad and I didn't see it being this bad for the Knowles what's what's plaguing the Knowles well it's just shocking I mean I had them as like a bubble team one way or the other you know heading into the season I think that's over <laughs> yeah, I think that's very much over. I, I don't think they've got a shot, obviously, barring a miracle ACC tournament run. But mm-hmm. I honestly cannot believe how bad they are. So, yeah, I know like Baba Miller's out and every Twitter person seems to think that would magically fix their season, which mm-hmm. I, I don't think Baba Miller is the difference between one and eight and eight and one guys. Yeah. Um, and I don't know how much you can even pin on Leonard, uh, but he put this roster together, you know, and there's not very much shooting. Despite being the, the literal second tallest roster in all of college basketball, they cannot rebound. They mm. rank 346th in defensive rebounding, which is embarrassing for a roster with as much size as they have. But it just it's like they can't shoot. They don't force turnovers like they used to. They can still block shots, but they're not really forcing tough twos. And the, the teams that Leonard had that were most successful, yeah, you had all the height inside and they could go get buckets and get fouled a lot and get offensive boards. But they also had really good shooting. Hmm. I mean, the 2020, uh, both, the, both the COVID year team and the post-COVID year team, top 100 in three-point shooting. And the post-COVID year team that made the Sweet 16, 21st. Mm. This year's edition shooting just under 32%. And it doesn't look like it's going to get a lot better. I mean, the most proven, uh, most, oh God, the most proven offensive player in this roster is Caleb Mills, who was, you know, he was very good at Houston but it just has not come together in an efficiency perspective for him uh, at Florida State, and they don't have a second option. Maybe when Miller plays, it gets better. Um, but, I mean, Leonard's a great guy, but I would set their over-under this year for wins at like eight. And that's really sad considering what they used to be and where they could be. But when you're losing, I, I, honestly, what's what's kind of amazing is the Stetson loss doesn't look so bad anymore given how good Stetson has looked at times, but... It's the it's the piling on, right? Mm. It's losing to Stetson. It's losing by double digits to UCF. Losing to Troy, to Siena, by 17 to Nebraska. Like, I understand you're bad, but you're not losing by 17 to Nebraska bad. Uh, so Maybe they are. I think they are. But the good news for them, for them and the bad news for humanity <laughs> is they play Louisville in nine days. Eight by the time this podcast The real sicko committee bowl. That that could be... So I've been looking into that playback site mm-hmm. where you can like stream games on playback and everybody gets to watch with you. The Louisville-Florida State game really could be a great first stream 
Like mm. uh, we all suffer together. We watch what I think as of now is 0-8 versus 1-8. I mean, if, if Louisville wins, I mean, Florida State might just Where is it? cancel the season. It's at Florida State. Florida okay. State's favored by four right now. That shows you just how bad this Florida State team is right now for them yeah. to only get four a week out from Louisville. But, I mean, what a year for the uh, the bottom end of the ACC because you got, okay, I was wrong, 0-7 Louisville, soon to be 0-8 they play <laughs> Miami. Um mm-hmm. Jesus, one and eight Florida State because Florida State plays at Virginia next. Mm. That's going to be a bloodbath. It, but then you got all the usual suspects. You got Boston College, Georgia Tech. Pitt looks like it might be okay, but Syracuse could be really stinky. Uh, Syrac- Syracuse looks really bad, and you know their coach. We're kind of wondering when he's going to step aside. It's getting this closer and a, closer. This is a horrible ACC man. Yeah. Horrible, horrible, horrible. Great news conflict. for UNC though. Yeah, UNC can rebound mm-hmm. um, because they get to play seven teams. That suck. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's good for them, but I guess bad for viewers. I, I mean, I do think they're going to get more teams in this year than they did last year because they got five in the field last time out. But Your I NC mean, State Wolfpack might be one of those. I mean, I think we should probably talk about them at some point. But yeah. the only team that has like kind of smelled like roses so far is UVA. Yeah. And everybody else, with the exception of NC State, and honestly, like kind of. I mean, we've still seen the best of Duke. Where Duke, we've seen the best. Like Duke's not going anywhere. There's still just too much talent. Duke will be fine, but we're. I mean, we're kind of closing in on a deal where it's going to be like Virginia's the only top ten team from that conference, Mm -hmm. and that's not the ACC I grew up on. Yeah. Um, Well, I mean, we've talked about it on this podcast. Well, I mean, we've talked about this podcast where, I mean, I think the future of the sport is in the Big 12. I think that's yeah. very abundantly clear. And I think that's what the Big 12 wants. I think that's where things are headed. And, like, it will just be amped up to the 100th degree if Gonzaga makes the makes the plunge sooner rather than later. And I feel like once that got out, that tells me that that's probably going to happen sooner rather than later um, for that to be out publicly. And It's more frequent that it happens than it does it when it gets yes. public. And then I think the SEC has kind of overtaken the ACC. And I think that's something that just hurt the ACC and where they are as a conference where, I mean, Mississippi State's playing uh, a much better brand of basketball. Uh, UGA's not good, but they're not just historically awful as they've been in years past. I mean, Ole Miss, we think that uh, they're going to have a coaching change at some point in the next year or two, but like they're still going to be... Missouri. Yeah, have they lost yet? No, the Missouri is like the seventh or eighth best team in the SEC, and I think they would be top four in the Atlantic Coast. Right. So it's just that's just how things have shifted. Um, then we have the other side of this, where it's like Villanova, man. I, mm. We thought there'd be a drop-off from Jay to Kyle Neptune, and Neptune deserves uh, them for the doubt, and he deserves time. It's going to be a change. It's going to be a little bit different. Lost a lot of talent, but like, they are 241st in three-point shooting percentage this year. They are taking a bunch of threes. They are missing a bunch of threes. Dan McQuaid of Defector, a very good sports website that you should subscribe to if you're not already, wrote about this where it's like, if folks who were just assume like, it's just, I imagine there are a lot of college basketball fans, right? Mm-hmm. Who logged in and they were like, Villanova's what? And then, <laughs> like, the Villanova start to this year is everyone doing a double take of like, that can't be their numbers. That can't be what's going on with Villanova. And like teams yeah. want this Villanova team. Cause you're going to get threes. You're going to make threes. They're going to try them. 
they're going to miss them and you're going to have a good time. Like it's a good time playing Villanova this year. And it's just, I don't know. I don't know if this, this turns around, like they're not Louisville, but they're also just like a middle of the road, big East team. Like Marquette is uh, all systems go, but like you look at Villanova, man, like St. John's, I think is undefeated still um, at this point. Nova, I'm selling all my Nova stock. Will, are you? I I might buy low. Okay. Uh, not in them being like good, mm-hmm. but in them being like eventually getting to 500 in Big East play at season's end. Mm. Like I think they, they, so let's, you know, we can't mince words here. They've been awful so far. They lost to Oregon with six players. Yeah, Oregon had six players. That's a bad, <laughs> bad loss. And mm-hmm. I don't think Oregon's good to begin with. But uh, I generally thought they'd be a lot better. The roster is thinner than I thought. They don't really have much going offensively right now. But, like, that three-point shooting number defensively, very unsustainable. They're not, like, playing horrible three-point defense either. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't think that's going to hold. I think the shooting will come around a little bit. And I think they're just better than two and five. Um, it's been a nightmare season for sure. Uh, but I, I don't know. I, I The talent is not what it was, obviously, but I don't think that they're as bad as they've shown to date. I think Villanova's going to, you know, kind of get back on the saddle a little bit. It really helps that they've got some games coming up soon that are both get right opportunities and just get a win opportunities. So you got Oklahoma Saturday at home. Oklahoma looks solid in, say, tournament-ish. But Villanova's technically favored by Ken Palm. I don't think they should be, but that's another story. Then you got three in a row where they're you know seventy percent or better to win. Penn, Boston College, St. Joe's. If they get to December twenty first, which is a home game against St. John's, at six and five, if they go four and zero in the next group, I think we're going to be feeling a little rosier about them. And it's like, I just with the talent they have in this roster, I know it's thinner than usual, and I know like playing. God love him, but Chris Archie Diacono, playing him this much is a bad sign. Um, but you still got Caleb Daniels. You still have Eric Dixon, Brandon Slater. Like, that's better than what they've shown. Mm-hmm. I, I think they'll turn it around in the sense of, like, they'll, pl- they'll play their way to, you know, 10 and 10 in the Big East or something. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think they're making the tournament this year, but it's not as disastrous as 2 and 5 suggests. We'll see what happens. I don't know. Like, where do you... I believe in their ability to turn it around more than the other teams we've mentioned so far. I'll say that much. That's fair. Um, favorite or no? We'll, we'll get into this. You're Michigan Wolverines. You're you're a house divided over there in Oak Ridge. Nothing. Where... Nothing about basketball matters right now because of Saturday's events. Mm. Beautiful feeling watching it with my dad. Beautiful feeling. Well, Blake Corm out for the year. I don't. I don't know how you're yeah. feeling about that. That's. But I got we got to twelve and zero. Everything after that is gravy. Yeah, there you go. Um, well, UVA Michigan played, and I wanted to get your perspective. We both we know how we feel about uh, Virginia being good. It's a travesty to this country. It's a travesty to viewers everywhere that we have to talk to our children once again about Virginia being See, in the final. Yeah, I, I will reveal in here. I cannot say that because I am friends with somebody at Virginia. But uh, you can you are allowed to say that. I am not allowed to say that they play abominable. Um, um, country shattering basketball. <laughs> I feel bad but, uh, for a country that this credit, is tremendous more content. Fun than usual this year. Um, well, what did you see in the Michigan UVA matchup? 
So I, I thought, honestly, so I thought Virginia probably got a hair better shot quality. I haven't seen shot quality's actual numbers on it, but they got more mm-hmm. looks at the rim. Um, they did kind of force some tougher ones from three, but Michigan's whole thing this year, I mean, M. Goblog has said it over and over, it just hit shots, and they finally did mm. uh, for a good portion of this game. Like, they hit open threes that they've been missing all year. Jet Howard was showing off. Hunter Dickinson looked good. But I thought... Um, and I feel like I've been measured in criticism of him thus far, but I, I think he genuinely did lose this game. Jawan Howard, a horrific substitution decision in the second half. So Michigan leads by six, uh, 56-50, I think. Mm-hmm. Led the most of the way, still did so with nine minutes left. So Howard pulls both Dickinson and Jet from the game for a breather. I think this is coaching malpractice. <laughs> there is no reason with nine minutes left in a what essentially was a coin flip basketball game, right? And ended up being so. Mm. That you pull your two best players off the court at the same time. You cannot do that as a head coach. I think that's basic. I mean, so if you're a Tennessee listener, imagine pulling Triple J and Phillips off the court for like three minutes with 10 minutes to go in a tight game. That's Mm. stupid, right? Or Triple J and uh, Vescovy. Not something you want to be doing. You want to know what happened? Virginia went on an 8 nothing run while they were off the court. In a game, Virginia won by two. That's the game to me right there. That's a horrible coaching decision by Juwan. And that kind of gets back before. I mean, like, Juwan is a great offensive mind, but they couldn't find an open shot. And I know it's Virginia. Virginia, it's hard to find an open shot against. But the last two offensive possessions, really bad. And... Michigan looked better than they have so far. I think, obviously, it might have been Michigan's best performance of the year, considering the opponent. Mm. But that's a massive missed opportunity to right the ship after you have that Arizona State loss. Uh, Michigan feels like they're headed for the bubble, and such a win would have been really good for bubble purposes. But on the other side of things, another solid win for UVA. UVA looks like a legit top-five team. And, I mean... I. They, it kind of speaks, you know, like they're, it's very variable, right? Where like some cases experience doesn't really matter. It's just like, oh, you brought all the same guys back who sucked. But <laughs> in Virginia's cases, like you brought all the same guys back and you have Tony Bennett as your head coach. Mm. So then that's kind of like, okay, I understand why they're top five right now. Like the, they, they, they're so deep, so experienced, so smart. Getting Ben Vanderplas from Ohio was such a great ad. I mean, it is it is very Tony Bennett for your one transfer portal ad to say, hey, who is the guy who beat us in the round of 64? Let's go get him. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, it's just like a very well-designed, very smartly put together roster. They're about to go undefeated into conference play. And I mean, the the matchup of the year from a, uh, like, if you watch NASCAR for the crashes, I think you should watch this game. December 17, Virginia, or Houston at Virginia. Early season might be game of the year right there. Yeah, might if be either, a, also a national title gets preview. to 60, somebody will have passed away. <laughs> um, Will, you mentioned being undefeated going into conference play. Do you know who is undefeated going into uh, December right now? The Connecticut Huskies? It is the Connecticut Huskies. Huskies. You know always, the, last... the bad thing is always think of them as the Bulldogs because of Do all you... the Bulldog teams. But they're the Huskies for sure. Do you think Bulldogs with UConn? 
I think it's I, the most iconic Huskies. I think it's, but the pro, I think the like problem Washington, is central, they call it like the dog pound. So like that's uh, more confusing. Like UW is kind of weird in the dog central, pound stuff. I think I'm thinking of no. I thought Central Connecticut were the Bulldogs, but they're the Blue Devils. So I don't mm. know what I'm thinking of that. But yes, the Huskies. Well, they're undefeated, and the last time. UConn. The last two times they've been undefeated heading into this time of year, Will. Do you know what happened? Did they win the title? They won the title the last two times. I might drive my car into a bridge <laughs> if they win the uh, I'm kidding. Jim Calhoun's not there anymore, so they're a lot more likable. Um, well, I think one of them had to be Ollie, right? Ollie was one of them. Yeah. It was 2014. Yeah. Um, which still needs its own 30 for 30. Like the Kevin Ollie experience at UConn. <laughs> That's I would like watch Larry the Coker winning a title. Yeah, like it's just I, I want a thirty for the it's forever and all time great uh, run and all kind like just the highest of highs and lowest of lows it's just crazy, um, but when you look at UConn and it's defense 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 they're playing really good basketball um, they might have a player of the year candidate on this roster that helps um, they are well put together well coached. And look, the Big East is open. Um, I think they are taking advantage of a down Villanova team. When you look around the Big East, it's like there's Creighton. They'll be fine. They'll be competing. Marquette looks better than ever uh, with Shaka, and they've really made some strides this year, and we'll see what they look like. I mean, Marquette just beat Baylor, right? If I'm mm-hmm. uh, That just happened. Smash Baylor. Uh, yeah, and I mean, they're good. I think they're probably going to be legit, but you look, at, you look around, you're like, this UConn team will... Mm-hmm. What if we get a final four matchup, UConn versus UVA on one side of the bracket? How stoked are you? Honestly, I, I really enjoy watching UConn, to be honest. Like, Dan mm-hmm. Hurley's a very good coach. Uh, they're, I, I don't think it's a large list. They are one of, they are one of one right mm-hmm. now uh, in terms of teams that have both a top 10 Ken Palm offense and defense. Only team in America to do so. Hmm. Uh, but I think I buy them. I, I don't buy them as like, so they're generally pretty terrible at getting quality twos under Hurley. It's like his one flaw. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're suddenly shooting 58% on them. So I don't mm-hmm. think that's going to hold, but do I buy UConn as a low end top 10 team and therefore like a second, like a next man up title contender for sure. Mm-hmm. Like I can get into that. I think it's a two player race between Sunogo and Ryan Kalkbrenner for mm-hmm. Big East player of the year. UConn supporting cast is awesome. Just much stronger than last year's and compared to previous seasons. Tristan Newton, in particular, really impressing me in a way I didn't expect. So I, I, I like them. I think that the interesting thing is, you know, you look at their schedule coming up. There, there's there's a couple potential road, like landmines ahead. I think Road Florida next Wednesday, that's like a weird one that's kind of difficult. And Florida's coached by a very smart guy in Todd Golden. They haven't looked great so far, but I don't think they're as bad as they've showed. Um, Road Xavier on New Year's Eve is really interesting. Uh, but the crown jewel and the one that we'll all be tuned into January 7th, they play it's Creighton at UConn. Going to be a great, great matchup. They have won one NCAA tournament game, uh, in the last eight years since, uh, they won the title with Ollie. And like you said, with, uh, Kim Palm, I mean, the only Kim Palm game where they're not going to be favored in regular season wise. Uh, until the the conference tournament is at Creighton, that's bonkers. Like, I just UConn man. I the offensive rebounding too is interesting. Do you think that's sustainable? Like, because they've always been a good rebounding team, but they're really good on the offensive yeah. glass. They've smashed teams on the offensive glass, like Iowa State. Do you think that's sustainable? 
100%. That, the offensive rebound will be sustained the entire way. Hmm. I don't know that they'll keep it up on getting to the free throw line as much as they have. That's a new wrinkle. Hmm. Um, I don't know. I mean, like, I definitely don't think they're going to hold opponents to 27% from three for a season. Nobody does. So somebody's hmm. going to get them eventually. And Creighton, honestly, could be a bad matchup in that sense. But the level to which they take away three-point attempts, Hurley has always been one of the best at that. And he creates lower variance basketball games because of it. So, I, I mean, I, I'm really fascinated to see who it is that does get them because nobody goes undefeated. Everybody mm. loses eventually. But will it be this Florida team that kind of plays a weird style of basketball? Will it be Xavier? Will it be Creighton? Could it be Marquette who looks really good? Uh, I'm interested to see who gets them and when. But given our dwindling number of uh, undefeated teams, I think we're down to... Let's see. Let's do some quick math. We're down to 16. Um, UConn's shot of being last team undefeated, not that unrealistic. Hmm. I like it. I think they're also one of those programs where I just feel college basketball is healthier when UConn's good. Like yeah. UConn is one you want good, both men's and women's. It just feels right. Um, favorite CBB moment this week for you, Will? Mine was Charlotte and that buzzer beater win over Davidson, which was just bonkers. And it just goes back out. Oh. Box out one time on that. Like, all you got to do is box out once and the game's over. Um, the monstrosity of what Davidson was wearing, where it was very confusing when I was watching, when I was watching that clip where I'm like, I don't know what I'm looking at here because Davidson's wearing some like Georgia Tech did that the other day where Georgia Tech was wearing this weird all gray look with like mm. white tech. And I'm like, what is that? Like that has no resemblance of Georgia Tech whatsoever. It's just horrible, horrible, horrible. Um, but that was just an amazing uh, turnaround buzzer beater for uh, the Niners uh, that I enjoy. What was your favorite uh, CBB moment? Uh, I'm going to go actually go back to Thanksgiving Day because I'm mm. counting it as part of this week. Yeah. Moment of the year for me, that Bobby Pettiford uh, put back at the buzzer to beat Wisconsin for yeah. Kansas. All-time moment that should live on. I mean, I know it's a regular season game and those kind of get lost in the shuffle. But that to me is an all-time like highlight reel moment. One you'll mm. see on YouTube forever. One you'll see on like you know end of season, like probably on one shining moment you'll see it. Yeah. Regardless of what Kansas does, that is just an amazing way to win a basketball game. To have the to have the wherewithal not only to get the rebound but to do the shuffle in midair of you know running it up and under. I feel like if I did that at the gym, I'm knocking Ethel off the treadmill upstairs. Mm-hmm. I mean that's that's crazy hard to do. And, I mean, not even one of Kansas's best players. Like, not the guys you would expect to do it. So that's my moment of the year today. I, I think that's just such an incredible piece. I, I like that one, too. Um, last thing before we do stats that caught your eye in the last week, Will. Iowa State, they beat North Carolina uh, not too long ago. Um, my question to you, obviously, they came from behind. They, they came out of nowhere last year, this Iowa State team. Uh, more on the radar this year. They're fine. Probably a bubble team. I don't know if you should. Like, hey, we'll, we'll see uh, where Iowa State goes. Uh, it's just the problem for them is they're just in the best conference in college basketball. And like, we'll see how they fare uh, this year. The problem for them is that they can't score. <laughs> that's a problem. That uh, it's a problem. But we'll see. Uh, I think they deserve the benefit of the doubt based on what we saw last year with yeah. the clones. But um, UNC, you were on this all offseason. They were not the best team in the country. They should not have been preseason number one. Good team just not the best um what have they done and what did iowa state do that kind of you know made you think like this is how you beat unc and this is a real problem for north carolina going forward 
Uh, I mean, honestly, just play offense. Uh, I I wish I had like a real really good one here, but like North Carolina appears entirely disinterested in playing defense thus far. I mean, this mm. is if this were a young team. It, honestly, let me tell you this: if this were Duke, mm. I would get it because Duke was so young. The fact that North Carolina plays as just like sluggishly and they just appear bored on defense. Mm. Like this is not fun for them. They have been awful getting back on rebounds. Horrendous transition defense thus far. And like they've done some things well, but I don't think they've guarded catch and shoot threes very well. They haven't forced many difficult shots. They, they've been all right at defending the rim, I will say. But I mean, it was kind of just a matter of time of like they played all these bad games against not good teams. Once they finally played real opponents, you know, like you're finally playing like Iowa State, Alabama, Indiana, it wasn't a shock to see things go south once, you know, the competition stepped up. I I don't think they're as bad as they've showed so far, though. I will say that. I think, you know, you you hear about it more. I think you hear about it more in college football, actually. Hmm. The idea of the title hangover. Yeah. Where, you know, you've kind of done it once. It's like, it, I know they didn't win the title, but, you know, going from eight seed to national title game and being within a three of winning it, that's a gigantic accomplishment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wonder if they just don't know how to follow that up. I mean, mm. I, I didn't think they were number one. I thought they were like top 10, but I, I think they're certainly much more, they're much more than what they have shown so far. Uh, I've been really disappointed with how they've handled, you know, that they have not handled off-ball screens well. They haven't closed out well. Like I said, transition defense has been awful. Um, this this might be the toughest the job ever gets for Hubert because mm. uh, I understand, like, you know, it's silly to say about such a talented team, but you now have to convince such an experienced group of guys in this deeply counted team to put forth effort they're not putting forth to fix something when this team is clearly set in its ways. That is harder to do than it looks. And I think that's kind of like, you know, I I think we all, we agree like Hubert's a pretty good coach, but I mean, if they continue this pattern where they're, I mean, like forget top 10, they are trending towards not finishing the year in the top 25, which is extraordinarily unusual for a preseason number one. I mean, there are three teams in the history of the AP poll since we went to 64, then 68 teams in the field that have been less than a four seed as the AP number one. Every team's at least made it. No team has been lower than an eight seed. And North Carolina really looks like they're going to threaten that. So they need to turn it around quick. And the problem for them is it doesn't get easier this weekend. you got to go on the road and play at Virginia Tech, who is extremely smartly coached. So... I don't know. They got to get back on the saddle soon because if they don't, you're staring down 10 losses, maybe 11 on the season. I mean, Ken Palm's got them projected 20 and 11 right now. That's awful for AP number one. So we, we've got to see what convinced everybody else pretty soon. Man. Whew. Well, we'll see what ultimately happens. But, you know, maybe that's part of the appeal of having a veteran team is they will get their act together and they will just something will happen they're like hey this is it like we're running out of time here like we want to get back to where we were last year and uh we cannot take anything for granted and maybe it was a wake-up call uh mm-hmm. with this kind of rough start because defense like you can fix that like this defense and with this group you can fix that it's harder to fix uh bad shooting and just bad offensive scheme and uh other things like that like defense if that's the main thing 
that yeah, we'll see and, what and happens. Like, they, they're still shooting very poorly. I don't think that's going to hold forever. Like, I mean, Caleb right. Love isn't going to shoot 25% from deep the whole season, but you just have to be trying harder defensively than they have so far. And they, they did look a little better considering the competition against Alabama. I thought they improved a hair. But, I mean, Indiana got them really good on uh, on Wednesday. Um, end, we'll end here, sir. What is the stat that has caught your eye in the last week in college basketball, Mr. Will Warren? So I've talked a lot in this podcast about things I don't like mm-hmm. this week or this year. I want to talk about something I love, and it's this man, Zach Eady. I can Ooh. watch this dude. This is that tweet about Purdue going from village to village in Europe and just pulling up the tallest giants they can find. Very true. Mm-hmm. Um, so this man is averaging 22 and 11 right now. I know Purdue has not played like the toughest schedule in America, but Purdue has beaten some pretty darn good teams. I mean, mm-hmm. they've beaten Marquette, West Virginia, Gonzaga, and Duke. That is a heck of a four piece to have already. Mm-hmm. And Gonzaga was by 18. Um Edie is the very clear front runner for National Player of the Year. I don't think that's controversial to say. But uh, what's even crazier than 22 and 11, he's shooting 64% from the field right now. Whether that lasts or not, I don't know. But I have a question for you. When was the last time a high major player averaged at least 20 and 10 while shooting 60% or better from the field? Say that one more time. When was the last time a high major, a.k.a. big six, player Averaged at least 20 and 10 while shooting 60% or better from the field. Embiid? It was two players in 2017-2018, DeAndre Ayton and Marvin Bagley, the top two picks in the NBA draft. I don't Mm. think Edie is going to go top two, but that's the type of talent you're dealing with here in Mm -hmm. college. And so here's an extra challenge. It's even funnier. What about 2010 and 65% or better? It's not Embiid. It is Blake Griffin with oh. Oklahoma in 2009. So that, I just wanted to put in perspective. Yeah, I think people can understand Zach Eady has been really good so far. Mm-hmm. But the numbers he's putting up are comparable to two number one picks and a number two pick. Like mm. th- this is all time for a guy who's not projected in the lottery on the NBA behalf. I don't think that's going to change either. I mean, like, what a find. It's insane. Absolutely. I mean, I'm going to his 247 profile right now. This man was ranked 440th by recruiting services. Man. Like, what were you looking at? Purdue just, I think it's just like if the, he was on so many other rosters, none of this happens. It's just the Purdue factor we have to we have to talk about with this, we, too. I mean, like, Matt Painter really is yeah. such a good coach. That man is incredible. And, like, yeah, right now... I, it doesn't seem like he's really projected for much of anything in the draft. Will. StatsByWill.Substack.com. Go subscribe if you have not already done so. Do that today as you're listening to this uh, edition of the podcast. That's StatsByWill.Substack.com. What can the good folks check out from you this week? Uh, more Tennessee basketball previews. I, I think the next NCAA at large when I'm doing this on Missouri State. I've got to mm. figure that out. They run a very interesting defense. Um, more other coverage. And then I am finally running the long-promised marathon uh, by the time this drops tomorrow, mm. Saturday. So there will be probably a recap of that on the Woo-hoo-hoo. site because people seem interested in it for some yeah. reason. 
No, they love our running aspect. Well, they used to. It used to be the two of us, the two best friends that anyone could have on the <laughs> running trails, and then it became one. Yeah. Um, but no, I think you'll be great. Are you feeling good, nervous at all? I feel really well prepped for it, honestly. Okay. It's, um, I don't know, I feel like I've gotten up the mileage pretty well, been running like 30, 35 a week in mm-hmm. preparation. So I feel confident and the weather looks pretty solid it's going to be 50 and cloudy so it's good running weather yes uh, not and like also, these early mornings also let's go us let's get this win over the netherlands on saturday it's a game saturday that is saturday it, the best part about this the game is saturday at mile seven roughly of my marathon are you gonna put it on like just tune in the tune in radio app Oh, I, th- I was thought you could like do a little headgear situation and just have uh, a little screen in front of you as you're running ahead. Just like do this whole virtual reality type thing and just have it streaming in front of you as you're running through. Um, <laughs> maybe in the future. I don't know. Uh, I don't want to give my take because I, I, I'm a very big proponent of let people enjoy things. Like mm-hmm. what, if people like it, like as long as it's not harming other people, don't poo poo it. Like you don't have to, yeah. like you just can stay away. And that's my thing on USMNT. I've been very quiet on my feelings for uh, the national team in soccer and like the national men's soccer team. And I Mm -hmm. I just don't want to, hey, people are enjoying it. I'll I'll keep my thoughts to myself. Fair enough. I I will, in that aspect, I'll keep my uh, positive Greg Berhalter thoughts in the chamber. There you go. So that's what I will. Thank you as always, my friend. And uh, I will talk to you next week. Thanks for having me on. All right, we're back here on the Chase Thomas Podcast. First timer here on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. He's not in the Blue Wire Studios. That's where I first seen him. He's always in there. The man uh, is in the Blue Wire Studios all the time out there in Vegas, the win. But uh, we'll have to get there eventually where we'll do the in-person one. That's the next uh, podcast uh, collaboration between Nick Dayas and myself of veterans minimum a very good sports podcast that you should go subscribe to if you are not already nick good afternoon sir how are you i'm doing well man thank you for uh having me on i've been following your work for a long time now getting familiar with some of the people on the network and we were talking before you started recording i admire and i salute your consistency and you know just cranking out this content it's it can be challenging but to you you seem to find a nice little groove in I'm happy to to be on your show. Thanks, man. Um, it's just, for me, I used to kind of, like when I was first starting out, I would do the semi-weekly type shows, like the two to three times was like the nice, like when you have a day job, stuff like that. It, it just kind of works that way. That's pretty good. So you can avoid burnout. But for me, what I found when I kind of pivoted a little bit to a daily show was that like, it just forces me to get my reps in every day right like i just feel like i get better and better each and every day and i get a better feel for what i want to do i don't feel weird because i remember just on days where i'm like okay how do i want to plan out what, what do i do with this off time how do i want to book this how do i um want to do stuff and i would overthink a little bit and i think when i went to the daily route and kind of building the show that i wanted to build like i think i always deep down want to do daily because i like writing daily i'm a creature of habit and i'm a big believer in just you build that consistency and you if you do something enough times over the course of 
several years, you'll feel pretty good at it. You you will develop a, a strong skill set uh, for that particular thing. So for me, it's just the reps and I love the consistency and I love being able to check it off and being like, I get to talk to people that are smarter than me about their particular thing each and every day. So I'm always learning something too, which is the other fun part is that I talk about so many different things and I have so many different interests that that's where I think when I was referred to as a sports renaissance man and this other writer doing the uh, a piece on best podcast, sports podcast to listen to, he referred to me as a sports renaissance man a couple of years ago. And I've like ran with that because I was like, that really is kind of what I want to be is I really love learning about everything and I keep up with everything, but I also just want this to be a show where people every single day are like, I'm going to know more about something in sports than I did the previous day. And I think that's kind of where you're at too with Veterans Minimum is you talk about a lot of different stuff and people always get different kind of takes and different kinds of perspective on each and every show. Yeah, man. And that's exactly it. Because for me, <clears throat> I uh, when it comes to like the consist- consistency standpoint, I've been putting out two episodes a week since 2015. Veterans mm-hmm. Minimum used to be a show with four other people. And through time, uh, people just grew out of it. People moved on to different things. People wanted to do their own thing. And this is all I ever wanted to do, man. I don't know your background as far as if you went to school for journalism or broadcasting. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't. Mm -hmm. I I dropped out of college uh, with 24 credits to go because I fell in love with content creating. And this was six months into the process. And I just fell in love with it, dude. And I had made no money at the time. I wasn't making any money yet. We didn't even fire off excuse me, a Patreon. So we were making no money, but Mm. it was something like a scene out of a movie, man. I've told this story many, many times, but for your audience, I'm sitting at lunch with a friend of mine who I used to go to junior high school and high school with. Mm -hmm. And we were were really good friends. And it was right before our Greek midterm. Now I'm Greek. Mm -hmm. My family is Greek. My nickname is Lamb because for Greek Easter, we eat lamb on the rotisserie. (laughs) Mm-hmm. took a picture when i was maybe 17 16 17 years old and right next to the lamb and chase i can't tell you why my childhood friends found it hilarious and just ran mm-hmm. with it so ever since then lamb has been like a way to sort of uh you know it's my nickname not not self-given you know because if you give mm-hmm. yourself nicknames it's always an issue right but uh yeah man so like i'm sitting there we're having lunch and it's right before our midterm and i'm talking to my friend kathy and all i'm doing dude is talking about my show talking about Mm -hmm. the content and i have a whole binder full of betting notes sports notes and then i have a folder with a sheet of paper for my midterm Mm -hmm. and she's like dude what are you doing here i was like what do you mean she's like all you do is talk about your show like why don't you just do that dude I go and I'm sitting, I'm taking the midterm. I have the paper in front of me. I'm looking down, 15 minutes go by and I go, I'm out. And I just gave the paper blank to my professor and I speak Greek, I read it very fluently. Mm. Uh, I don't have a, an American accent when I speak Greek. So when Greek people hear me speak the language, they're like, wow, you have an amazing uh, Greek dialogue. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not someone born and raised in America. and she was blown away dude she's like what do you mean you're leaving i was like yeah i'm gonna go to the dean's office because i remember at the time you had a deadline until a certain date where you could withdraw all your credits and not be Mm -hmm. 
liable to pay for your semester i was like yeah i'm out i don't i don't know what i'm doing and i'm gonna just go chase this thing that i'm into and she you know she gave me the whole spiel of without that piece of paper you're not going to be anything and and i'm a big get shit done guy Mm. and i'm a big i'll figure it out and then fast forward seven years later here we are i I can relate. I mean, I'm about to like my, this is, I literally have, when I leave here today, I'm going to campus to, uh, take care and finish up my portfolio for one of my last two classes in grad school here at UT. Like this is it. Like I, and I'm at the point where this semester has been a drag for me where it's just, um, I can see the light at the end of the tunnel and I'm just, I'm ready to move on and do other stuff, but I've loved my time here, but there, you do hit a wall in school and you hit a wall when you're juggling different things because it's hard to keep that same kind of passion while also keeping up the school with grades keeping up with school and it's just it's hard when your brain is being pulled in a multiple in multiple directions and you want to be involved in multiple things and it only gets more complicated like i just got married this fall and it's just everything and chasing a dream only gets more complicated the older you get it doesn't get easier so when people ask me stuff i'm like Look, it's only going to get more complicated. So start right now, start yesterday and just create like it. There's just, you know, I know like when we're in this industry and like when we started years ago, because I started if I'm 31 about six, seven years ago as well. And you're not making money. You're losing money. You're in the red for years. You're looking at listener viewership stuff and you're like, that's why people mostly leave. And if you look at so many podcasts, there's so many podcasts graveyards all over apple Podcasts, spotify wherever we're like wow they haven't updated in like four years it's because like most don't want to do it like they can't handle the daily commitment and like not having listeners and not making money losing money uploading stuff thinking of catchy titles organizing your shows booking guests this that and the other like it's a lot and you got to really really want it and i think it's partly just how people are wired like some people are wired for it and some people aren't and you'll learn very, very early on if you're wired to chase a dream and chase content creation, chase creating your own show, because there are days, and I'm sure you feel the same, where you don't feel like doing it. Like you don't feel like walking over to the Blue Wire Studios and recording this. You're just like, I, I just, you don't have it. It's not because you don't love doing it, but it's just not realistic to have that same kind of energy each and every day. You just push through it, man. And some people do push through it, but I think most don't. And that's ultimately who wins and who doesn't. Yeah, well, I will say that now it's a lot easier to go and record content yeah. because I uh, the the studio is inspiring, right? The studio mm. is motivating. Uh, but to pull the curtain back, going back a couple of years ago, I mean, yeah, dude, it's it's a lot. Like people don't understand that I'm I'm someone who I I try to just get things done, right? Mm-hmm. It's the one thing that I would say I would describe myself. Like I'm, yeah. I'm a go-getter, I'm a hustler in every sense of the word, and I'm gonna figure it out. And I do I get discouraged? Yeah, I'm not gonna lie to you, Chase, and tell you that every day is sunshine and rainbows. Mm-hmm. I don't get caught up in the downloads and the views. Yeah, I, Every opportunity that I've gotten in this industry has had nothing to do with my following. It has done with a seven-year sample size. Not even, Well, that's not a sample size. A seven-year body of work of you give me a task, I will get it done for you. Uh, the content is good, 
right? The content is good. The show is constantly growing. Year over year, the show grows. I don't look at episode to episode because I've had situations where I'll have a big name guest and I'm like, oh shit, this is the one. We're going viral. And then nothing happens. And then I'll get a childhood friend of mine come on my show and we talk about wrestling, aliens, why he doesn't gamble, our bachelor party stories, why isn't hockey more exciting? Not exciting. Why isn't hockey bigger in the U.S.? Because it's an awesome sport. Uh, talking about the men's soccer team. Talking about Stone Cold versus The Rock. Because like my show is it's a sports and sports betting show. But a lot of it is my big selling point is if I'm going to have someone on my show, it's going to be interesting. Mm -hmm. I like selling interesting. And I know it's very broad and very generic, but I never want it to be a... I'm just going to cover the New York Knicks. I'm just going to cover the New York Giants. And Chase, one of the reasons why is because, dude, I did that. Mm -hmm. I worked with this company, Chat Sports, who that was the first time that I was actually making money from content creating. Mm -hmm. And I'm forever grateful for those dudes. I'm still friends with those dudes. But I had to cover the Knicks in like 2017, 2018, when Porzingis blew out his knee. And they're winning... 19 games a year and every episode i'm coming on and it's like all right today's fake trade let's mm -hmm. try to get Giannis. how can we get lebron and it's like dude that's not fun for me mm -hmm. i was covering the giants where they were winning three games a year and it was just boring so has my growth been halted a little bit because when you are hyper focused on one team i would say it's easier to build a brand absolutely for sure but but to me dude I've always envisioned how can I get on a show like Joe Rogan? How can I get on a show like Bill Simmons? Is it going to be covering this one particular team? I don't think so. Yeah. But then that's when sports betting came in. And sports betting was always going to be my Trojan horse, using that analogy. That was going to be, and dare I say, man, I don't know a lot of people who are the total package when it comes to that. And I don't mean by, and it's always weird when you talk about yourself, mm -hmm. but like from an entertaining, knowledgeable and insightful aspect, all in one, there are people that are better than me at sports betting, but they're not good on camera and the microphone. There are people that are better than me on the camera and microphone, but they're not better than me in sports betting. So that's where I'm unique. That's where my brand has been built as like a entertaining sports better who is successful, but like I said, dare I say, I don't know how many people know more than me when it comes to that particular genre. So, you know, I gave you a, a full loaded answer there and response as we're chatting here. But uh, I think it's being consistent, man. And again, people get that instant gratification and you're not going to get that with podcasting, dude. Nope. I've been in rooms and in meetings with people when they find out how many downloads my show gets monthly. They're blown away. They're like, this kid? It's like, yeah, dude, this kid who puts out 110 episodes a, a year and has been doing it for seven years. And I throw shit at everywhere. LinkedIn, mm -hmm. Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat. Dude, you're going to see my stuff because I believe in my stuff because I know the work that I put into it. I've never asked Chase for something I feel like I didn't earn, not mm -hmm. deserve. I feel like I've earned all these opportunities and we're the same age too i heard you say 31 before mm -hmm. and it's like dude i've been doing this a while man and and i don't know if i've surpassed the ten thousand hours but damn it i'm very very close to it for sure and i think you and i look at it the same way where 
I think you're in for a rude awakening or you're just not going to be happy if you put a timeline on yourself. If you're like, I need to be here by this age or I want to have this amount of listeners by this point. I look at it as just like, this is a marathon, man. Like, I want to do this for the rest of my life. I want to build my show the way I want to build it for the rest of my life. And if I can make money and it can be my full-time thing, then I'm happy. That's the main goal. It's just like, if I can do this every day and this is my thing and I can really build this the way I want to build it, then I'm good. And I, I think when you give yourself a break on that front, putting out the content, putting in the work is easier because it becomes more of a labor of love instead of a labor of like, oh man, where am I at next week? Where am I? Oh, I went backwards this week a little bit. Oh crap. What do I need? You just, you're not as hard on yourself about that sort of stuff. Yeah, man. And you know, the one thing that I like about this is we have a lot of control over the outcome of these things, right? Because if I don't put out content, dude, you know, who's going to suffer me and my show. Mm -hmm. We have no one else to blame, but ourselves. And I, I sort of live my life also from a standpoint of, man, I don't get worked up over things I have no control over. Mm -hmm. You know, if you and I schedule to be on a podcast, you were going to come on my show and, and you bail or you don't show up. It's like, man, there's not much more I could do to that. I can't mm -hmm. force you to be there. Is it, does it suck? Does it get me upset when people leave me high and dry? Yeah, it, it pisses me off. And it, but it gives me fuel like, man, one day you're going to be asking to come on the show. And then mm -hmm. I, that's when I'm going to be like, you know what? Nah, you have your chance. <laughs> you know? So to me, dude, it's all about where you were saying uh, as far as like, you know, the numbers and getting discouraged. Man, I've used, the, I've used the platform of Veterans Minimum and all the content that I create as a way to become undeniable. Um, every opportunity that I've gotten has been because I was self-taught the editing, the audio. Yep. And it's just like you, man. I'm just, I was someone who dropped out of college, like I said, and I was working on my family business three o'clock in the morning, five days a week, waking up to go into the New York city to work the coffee truck with my father. And then it was like, you know what? My main goal in all of this from day one was I don't want to flip eggs anymore. And I keep that in the front of my mind. Whenever I get sidetracked, it's like, dude, you start slacking, you start acting up. You know, I already have a big ass head. I'm a seven and three fourths, and I get the red mark across the top of it when I wear a fitted. Mm -hmm. It's like I keep that in the front of my mind. If I feel like I'm feeling myself too much, it's like, dude, you slip up. You're going back to selling eggs. And I keep that in the front of my mind because and everyone has success. They define success in different ways. Dude, I get to create content full time while doing other things in the production. I don't know, man. I, I think I'm, I'm living out a dream and, and, and I don't take it for granted. And I try to stay as humble as I can. You mentioned a lot about sports gambling and it's something that I find very fascinating because I am not really in that world. Um, it's never been, it's not because I'm a kid. It's just, I'm not in it. Like, I think it's one of those, you have to dive in. It's not something you can just half-ass and you're just like, all right, I'll dip my toes in. It's like, I, I think it, there's so much skill involved. There's so much research involved. There's so much trial and error involved. That's just not my expertise. So I would prefer asking other people about how they come to it and things like that, because it's just not an area that I'm, uh, all that experienced in. But I am curious from your perspective, because obviously like when you're, we were both in undergrad around the same time, like sports gambling was kind of bursting on the scene a little bit at professional sports, but still not all that. Like we weren't getting arenas named after it. We were getting sports books added to it. Like it's, it, a lot has changed in a very short amount of time. 
I'm curious for you, uh, Nick, like how has sports gambling changed your perspective as a sports fan? So I'm going to get super nerdy on you here. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't sports gamble. I sports bet. Okay. Betting and gambling are two completely different things, and I will fight you to the end, and I will argue against anyone. I've had a gambling therapist on my show, uh -huh. and he asked me if there was a difference, and I was like, yeah, absolutely, there's a difference. Mm -hmm. And have you ever been to a casino and played any of those like games? Like, Do you mm -mm. gamble at a casino? No? I've never been to a casino. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, I'm in one every single day. Like, again, I like not because I've yeah. never, like, I, it's just, I've never been. Like, it's just never yeah. been something I did. Okay, so there are certain games that you play when you go to a casino that I would explain to people listening mm -hmm. and sort of sort them out as gambling mm -hmm. and betting. Betting, poker. Poker is the purest game in a casino. You don't play the house. So there's no the house always wins. It's like, no, if Chase and I are sitting at a table with eight other people, Chase is trying to take my money susan's money and patrick's money it has nothing yeah. to do with the dealer the dealer is just there to orchestrate the game blackjack you play the house however if you're holding you know pocket tens you could split them there's certain things where that's more you have a control of the outcome you know what you don't have a control of the outcome in a roulette wheel hmm. anyone chase that tells you they have a strategy in roulette is an idiot and i would use a four-letter word in front of that if i didn't know what the uh, uh the the style of your show is if you could drop mm -hmm. swear words on here but there's no strategy in roulette there's no strategy in craps right slot machines those are gambling and when you bring it over to the sports side of it i have friends that gamble on sports i bet on sports because mm. i i don't bet every day I need to really like something in order to put my money on it. Mm -hmm. There's research in it. It's a lot of hours throughout the week building up. You know, are you getting the right number in the NFL? Who's in, who's out? Where people that are throwing in bets at 1245 Eastern time on Sunday, that's gambling. Mm -hmm. I make my bets from Tuesday, Wednesday, for the Sunday game, you know, you try to get the most authentic numbers. So to me, the difference between the two is staggering. And when it comes back to how you set this question up and the difference between, you know, looking at sports from a sports betting perspective is I felt like I've always understood sports more because of my betting background, hmm. because the sports books chase, they don't want you to win. Mm -hmm. All those fancy casinos that I could see out my window right now in Las Vegas, mm -hmm. they didn't do it because they were polite to their consumer. No, they want to gain an edge. And the betting markets can give you a real unbiased understanding of what they view your team to be. Hmm. So it's always looking at sports from a different perspective because I can tell you, I can tell you if you think buffalo is going to beat the patriots however are they going to beat them by a certain amount of points so chase it's like you know you can it's easy for you to pick i'm trying to think of a point spread this weekend to oh the dallas are dallas is playing indianapolis right they're playing in dallas mm -hmm. just using this as an example if i ask you who's going to win chances are a lot of people are going to pick the cowboys mm -hmm. But now where it gets funky is, well, do you think they're going to win by more than 11 and a half points? Mm -hmm. It's like, ooh, 
oh, I don't know, maybe they're up two touchdowns, they get a backdoor cover. There's things like that. So understanding sports from a sports betting perspective, I feel like has made me a more intelligent sports fan across the board. That's interesting. I mean, do you, so when you're going through stuff, do you, what, like, what is your bread at, like, and not to get your secrets here, uh, Nick, but like for people who are novices uh, when it comes to sports betting, like, what would you recommend uh, in terms of how you got into it and how you became more and more comfortable, more confident about uh, placing bets and like strategy? Like what, what were some early things that you learned that you're like, okay, you should probably focus on this to get a better feel. And this is a good way to get into the, the industry. So the, the thing with me about sports betting is I kind of was raising it. Hmm. When I was seven years old, it was around Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. I had an uncle of mine come up to me with a what is known as a parlay card. Mm-hmm. And he asked me to pick four teams to win. Mind you, I knew nothing about sports mm-hmm. except for soccer because I grew up as a soccer kid. And I circled four teams. Can't even tell you what teams I circled, Chase. He comes back the next week and he gives me 100 bucks, mm-hmm. And he's like, if you do this every week, you'll make a lot of money for me. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh. Okay. Spoiler. It's not that easy. (laughs) It is definitely not that easy. So through the years, man, I started to, you know, you do, I do a lot of reading, Mm -hmm. um, on this stuff, Mm -hmm. like sports betting. I've read a lot of books on sports betting. I read a lot of articles on sports betting. If you look at the top 10 most searched things on my computers, nine of the 10 10 are sports betting. Mm -hmm. It's like, everything has to do with sports betting for me so you start to understand tendencies and trends and historical context on things and through the years it's a lot of trial and error man you know it's a lot of trial and error it wasn't always uh an amazing ride for me in sports betting i think creating content kind of saved me from it because back then my early years high school early college i was a sports gambler Mm -hmm. parlays uh no research oh i I know that the giants are gonna win this week of course they are and yeah you will get lucky dude you will you will win early like it happens I, i i think beginner's luck is a real thing in sports betting where People will put their first couple of parlays in and they'll hit for $2,000. And they're like, oh, man, this is nothing. I know sports. Dude, the dumbest bettors I know Mm -hmm. are my friends that know the most about sports. Think about Mm -hmm. that, right? Like, I have friends that can tell you the starting five lineup for every team in the NBA. Who's the first guy off the bench? Who's closing out their games? They could tell you who led the league in receiving yards in 2013 but they cannot bet for their life because it is a different perspective when you're talking about betting Mm -hmm. and being a sports fan. That's interesting. Um, What have you learned about the industry since moving to Vegas? Nothing. (laughs) Yeah, dude, like it's nothing has surprised me about Mm -hmm. it. I've met a bunch of people. I think every time I've went out, Chase has only been network purposes. Hmm. I'm really focused and locked into things. I'm at the studio a lot. I avoid the strip Hmm. unless I'm going to the studio. And there are a couple of casinos out here that I go to 
with vegas locals mm. like those are the casinos that people that live in vegas go to and i'll go there to watch the games because they have a hundred and fifty thousand tvs throughout the whole place mm. so and i'm watching and you know i'll grab a couple beers with some friends and whatnot and i meet professional betters i meet uh people in the industry and there hasn't been anything that has surprised me or that i've learned mm. uh professional betters can be wrong the public can win as well. Over time, I would side with the professional betters as opposed to the public. But, you know, it's been a good year for public betters and, and people sort of just taking the obvious play. And, and the sports books up until last weekend, they were getting crushed by a lot of the people in the industry that are making bets. But in regards to learning something new about the industry here, it hasn't been anything that has been like, wow, I never thought of that or heard of that since I moved out here. That's interesting. Um, what was the best long-term bet you've ever made? Like you still are pretty proud. Like you saw this, you got a year or two out. It could be six months out. What was your best long-term one that hit that you were like, I, I feel vindicated. I feel really good that I saw this and I had the foresight months and months or even years out. Oh, man. So there's a couple, mm. dude. There's a couple. One of them, I think you could call it a homer pick, mm -hmm. but when the Giants were 6-6 six and six in 2011, mm -hmm. they were 45-1 to one to win the Super Bowl. And it was when JPP blocked a game-winning field goal attempt for the Dallas Cowboys in Dallas. Mm -hmm. And then that spearheaded like a seven-game run that the Giants went on to win the Super mm -hmm. Bowl. Uh, I had bet them there, but also I'm, for the people that know me, they know I am very honest and I might be the most unbiased fan of his team. Mm -hmm. Like, dude, every Monday when I record Veterans Minimum, I laugh my ass off that the Giants have won games because I don't understand mm -hmm. it. They are not a good team. They are seriously flawed and you're starting to see some regression to the me now. And it's like, dude, I don't know how they're winning. Mm -hmm. Like I had them as a six win team if all went well and they've already surpassed it through eight weeks. So that was one of them in 2011. In 2016, I was actually out in Vegas that summer and I bet $500 on Clemson to win the national championship when they had Deshaun Watson mm -hmm. and Hunter Renfro and Mike Williams. And they ended up winning the national title. I got about, I think they were like nine to one odds. So then when I came back to vegas actually no i just lied to you i didn't come back to vegas i had a buddy of mine come to vegas for march madness mm -hmm. and he cashed the ticket for me so that was a good one um i had the rams last year to win the super bowl i have 15 to 1 from the start of the year that was really good oh i had steph curry mm -hmm. steph curry the first year he won mvp i had him he was 30 to 1 so I would say those are some of the bigger like futures because I do like dabbling in futures and it's kind of a I don't want to say a controversial take that's the wrong word but there are a lot of people that don't like futures in the sports betting industry a lot of professionals don't like them because they consider them sucker bets mm -hmm. so like first touchdown score in the Super Bowl the sports books make a lot of money off that mm. because there's only one legitimate outcome to that. But you can bet, yeah, you could probably bet like 30 <laughs> different options, right? Yeah. So even if that one guy does hit, chances are you're cleaning up everywhere else. Mm -hmm. But 
a lot of professional sports bettors they like betting on things that have one an A or B side, mm. meaning over nine and a half wins, under nine and a half wins. They don't like really dabbling in who's going to win MVP, who's going to win the Super Bowl. At most, they'll do like a division pick because there's only four possible outcomes. So the reason why I mention all that is because I like futures. I'm a big futures guy. I would probably say that I bet the most money throughout the year on futures, who's going to win the Super Bowl, NBA, MVP, things like that. Because do you play fantasy football? Yes. So, like, when you play fantasy football, I play in one league with my buddies back home, and it's a $300 league. We've had it for, like, a, like 12 years now. We wanted to get it up to a $1,000 buy-in, <sighs> Chase, and then one of my buddies was like, dude, $1,000 is, like, crazy. Mm. Like, 300 we take it serious. It's basically one month's mortgage or a rent for everybody. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in the end, we're all, tr we're all really good friends. We grew up together. $1,000 is like, yo, Chase and Nick just made this trade. Like, they're colluding or something. You know, like, there's a lot it of chaos the friendship that goes into that. For whoever wins. Yeah, yeah, dude. So, like, $300 is, like, cool, you know? So, the reason why I bring that up is because, like, if you like a team to win the Super Bowl, you like a team to make the playoffs or whatever it might be, it's, like, very similar to fantasy football, mm -hmm. right? Like, you give that $300 up on draft day for a four-month investment down the line. It's the same thing with a future. And then when the time comes, if you are holding something, it makes the playoffs more interesting. It makes the the end of the season more interesting when you do have a ticket on something that might happen. That's interesting. Um, last thing on sports gambling, what what do you think happens next in sports gambling and professional sports? Is there one? Is there a big thing that you think is coming down the pike in this industry that? sports fans should be prepared for like is there another big big change that you forecast in the next year or two well i've been really outspoken and to everyone that i've met out here in vegas and i went to a gambling convention a couple of months ago with some people from blue wire that were out here and i met people in the industry that are sort of the kind of people that can make this thing happen mm -hmm. i think the future of sports betting chase is peer-to-peer -peer betting mm. So what I mean by that is we were just talking about fantasy football, right? There is still this idea in people's heads that there is collusion. There are fixed games. There, the house always wins. So a way to combat that, I think, is creating peer-to-peer -peer betting. You and I enter this tournament and say it's a $100 buy-in, and you and I agree to... You know, you pick five games against the spread. I pick five games in the spread. And we don't need to beat the book. I just need to beat Chase. Mm -hmm. You just need to beat Nick. And it's like very similar to Daily Fantasy, mm -hmm. if you're familiar with. So like Daily Fantasy has tournaments and you accumulate points through player performances. And then they have massive prize pools depending on where you finish. So I think peer-to-peer -peer betting is the future you get 10 buddies you all throw 100 bucks and winner wins 900 the app or the book keeps 100 dollars for sort of hosting this event mm -hmm. so i think you're going to start seeing that more and more and the next domino to fall is we're waiting on california florida texas to allow sports betting to go through because those are massive massive markets with huge huge uh, betting potential in those places like the floodgates opened up back in 2018 when new jersey 
said, you know what, we're going to embrace sports betting. It's always been the elephant in the room, dude. Mm. Like, it's always been the giant elephant in the room that everyone knows, sees, and can feel, but they choose to ignore it, right? Mm -hmm. For so many years, these networks were, don't you dare mention minus six and a half or else you're going to be canceled. Mm -hmm. You're going to be taken off the air. Meanwhile, now every network on the planet has an actual betting show, have actual betting analysts that come on and break down the lines. Mm -hmm. They'll mention the point spreads in the graphics, which, dude, two years ago was frowned upon. Mm -hmm. But there is this is a billion billion dollar industry that money talks dude and if you could get a cut of the pie however you might get it that's why you're seeing sports teams now have fan duel plastered on the corner of the nba courts uh, arenas are named DraftKings arena or, or and if it's not it's gonna happen soon so it's just teams are partnering with all these sports books now. The official sponsor of the New York Mets. Mm -hmm. And it's like, here's Caesars Palace or whoever it might be. It's just the more and more states that are going to allow this is going to be more and more money that comes into these markets. And the teams aren't idiots, dude. Why else are you watching Jaguars Titans on a Thursday night football? You either bet on it or it's fantasy football related or you're fans of the teams, mm -hmm. right? Like I love football, but there are... You know, commander. The commanders played someone. Uh, the commanders and the bears played on Thursday night football. Mm -hmm. I didn't bet it. Had no one in fantasy. I didn't watch it. But if I did bet it, I'd be watching. Mm -hmm. So it's just you're seeing these leagues are embracing it because it's helping the bottom line. It's helping ratings and viewership, and those are some of the next dominoes to fall in this industry. Um. How far do you think U.S. the U.S. men's national team goes? You're all in. The timeline is all USMNT uh, for you, Nick. How far do you think they go? Look, man, it's a team that I've been very passionate about since I can remember. It was one of the first uh, sports memories that I've had in my life. It was soccer? It was my first love. Uh, it was a way that my father and I bonded and continue to bond. I was actually on the phone with him before we started recording. We're just talking about the World Cup because mm. it's like the first major tournament that us two won't watch together. It was always a way where we can like bond over it because all these games are played overseas and you have unique start times, you know. So we would come home from work and we'd watch the Euro Cup. We watch the World Cup. So I've always followed the men's team and this core. Now, I don't know when you're going to post this tomorrow. So mm -hmm. maybe, yeah, so in regards to like the Netherlands, I think they could beat the Netherlands. Hmm. I think it's a very favorable draw. We've been playing really well, man, like really, really well. And we're creating chances. Our midfield is very dominant. And I don't want to get too nerdy with it, Chase, mm -hmm. but I'll explain it to you for you to understand and for your listeners to understand that might be tuning in just because of the World Cup. The issue with the soccer in the United States is this. We value the education system here. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. However, in Europe, if you're 13, 14 years old and you have talent, you're going into a youth academy. And at 18, you're on the men's mm -hmm. team, maybe even younger. Where 18 here, you're in high school, then you have to go to college because if you and your plus one have a kid, and at 14 years old, they're a wonder kid in soccer or ten or whatever it might be. And you turn to your friends and you go, you know what? Chase Jr. is really good at soccer. We're going to take him out of school and he's going to chase his dream of being professional. Mm -hmm. 
not one, not one of your friends is going to say, you know what? That's a great idea, Chase. Mm -hmm. What are they going to tell you? He's not going to get anywhere with his education, no education, no success here. And look, that's fair. But we're behind as a nation because of that. Mm. Because when you graduate college, you're 22, 23 years old, getting drafted into the MLS. Now you're a professional at 22, 23. Dude, in Europe, you have five, six years of professional soccer experience. So you have that versus what we have here. It's completely different. Fast forward to this crop of players right now. The game against Iran was the first time in men's soccer history at a World Cup. We didn't start one player from the MLS. Hmm. All our guys are playing overseas in very, very good leagues. The cream of the crop. They're playing in Spain in La Liga. They're playing in Syria in Italy. They're playing in the English Premier League. So, dude, even 10 years ago, not even the last time they were in the World Cup in 2014, when you take the field and you see Cristiano Ronaldo, you see Germany, you see these like megastar players and you're like, oh my God, I'm on the same field with them. It's a culture shock. Mm -hmm. It's the, the, the gap is really wide. But now, dude, all our guys are playing in these leagues. They see Messi, they see Ronaldo every week. It's no longer a, I can't believe I'm on the field with X player. It's like, dude, I was just on the field with A, B, C, and D last week. And then next week, I'm playing Ronaldo. Next week, I'm playing this guy. So it's no longer a, the, the, the playing field has been leveled now. And all our players are playing overseas. They're playing at really big clubs. They're playing a lot of minutes in the European style of soccer. And we're the youngest team at the World Cup. We made it out the group. I've been fantasy booking. I have a video on my YouTube channel from like 2019 where the opening line is congratulations to the 2026 World Cup champions, the US of A. The US, the World Cup in 2026 is going to be in the United States also. But I get super excited when I talk about the men's team. But back, back to like this World Cup here. Look, man, I think it's a favorable draw playing the Netherlands. I, in my opinion, we're better than them everywhere but two positions. Mm -hmm. I'll take that. In comparison to what we could have faced elsewhere, depending on how the groups were, is a very favorable draw. And look, they're expected not to advance. The Netherlands are a two-to-one favorite to make it to the quarterfinals. The U.S. is plus 175, meaning, meaning $100 wins you $175. Mm -hmm. But... It's going to be another nail biter. It's going to be a game that is going to, you know, make you lose your hair, get some more gray hairs in your beard like I got over here, this salt and pepper look. But that's the style of play with the U.S. But, man, I'll, I'll play. If they show up the way they did against England, who last year they were in the Euro Cup final, mm -hmm. right? Like, and that's one of the best tournaments in the world. We could play anybody. We could play anybody. We could beat anybody. And I'm cautiously optimistic not to get my hopes up, but I think they could beat the Netherlands. And then chances are they play Argentina in the quarterfinals. And at that point, it's, you know what, you might lose to the, the, the team that I picked coming in to win the World Cup. So it's, it's very promising moving forward, the, the upside for the men's team. We'll end on this. Um, as another uh, sports podcaster and content creator who uh, watches a variety of sports, like, I get asked this a lot and I'm curious from your perspective of like, how do you divvy up your time, Nick? Like, how do you decide what to watch each and every day? 
I kind of watch the sports that I'm the most excited for. Hmm. And the sports that I think might make headlines that I'd be interested in talking about. I don't talk about baseball on my show. Mm -hmm. Because through the years, I realized that people in San Diego only care about the Padres. People in Florida don't care about the Padres. Mm -hmm. Uh, They might in the event that the Marlins play the Padres in the playoffs. But prior to that, it's not a sport that rates well or does well from a national standpoint. And like I said, I'm a general podcast. I like approaching baseball conversations like, dude, 400 million for a pitcher? Like, that's crazy. And I'll have a buddy of mine who's a big baseball fan come on and tell me like, you know, dude, he's playing 40 times a year. It's very viable having a pitcher. So like, I bring people on to, I have no problem with admitting I don't know something. Mm -hmm. So I'll have someone come on and be like, dude, explain to me like I'm an idiot because I am and I'm a college dropout. Explain to me why X, Y, and Z are the case. So I really focus on major sporting events. That's why I'm covering the World Cup. NFL is my bread and butter. Absolutely love the UFC. It's become one of my favorite sports, maybe my favorite sport. Hmm. Uh, major NBA. You know, you have a you have a Golden State Celtics rematch. I might tune into that one. I do have League Pass because I'm a Knicks fan, so I follow the Knicks, and especially being out here in, in Nevada now, I'll watch them. I follow them pretty closely. And I'll have, like, League Pass on, sort of, like, passing time. I'll have it in the background. I'll, I'll pull it up on my laptop as I'm playing Xbox, and I'll keep an eye on everything and chime in when I see fit. But for the most part, man, it's... It's things that I'm genuinely curious about and interested in is how I go about picking what I'm watching. I do only consume sports, stuff, mm. so I'll tell you that. Uh, for me, I can't tell you about a lot of shows for the most part because it's sports 24-7. No shows. So you haven't watched, like, what was the last show you watched? Like, from beginning to end. <sighs> Man, I would say Money Heist on Netflix. Uh-huh. And then, like, as, like I haven't watched Game of Thrones, this new version of Game of Thrones. Um, I thought Game of Thrones was kind of mid the whole time. Oh, wow. Like, it's a great... Like, I got Khaleesi the dog good, literally right next to me right now, Nick. Oh, damn. I'm glad you can't I, I hear this. I love dogs, too. So, yeah, good, 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 because I'm a big dog lover. But, dude, like, uh, I would say Breaking Bad, probably. Oh, wow. On TV. And what is that? It's been like a yeah. decade now, hasn't it? Or close to <laughs> mm-hmm. it? Yeah, so that's just a way for you to understand. Like, um, you know, I watched Ballers for like a season. That's really that's really it, man. Netflix, I've watched a bunch. Like, I love Narcos, mm-hmm. one of my favorite episodes ever. So, so your audience can get an idea of like what my show's about. Is I had the actual DEA agents that took down Pablo Escobar on my show uh, during COVID, and one of the reasons why is because, dude, I dare you or anyone listening to this to send me a documentary on Pablo Escobar that I have not watched, Hmm. whether it's in Spanish, whether it's in English, I am fascinated by the Colombian cartel era of Colombia. I'm fascinated by Pablo Escobar. And I had the real DEA agents, Javier Pena and Steve Murphy on my show to talk about this stuff. And I always, lastly, I always bring my guests to sports. Hmm one way or another and i said i was like dude there were reports of like you know because back then 18 of the 20 teams in colombia Mm. chase were ran by drug lords so there were reports of 
you know, say you're an owner of a team, I'm an owner of a team, mm -hmm. I'd have my, uh, I'd have my goons go and kidnap your center forward's daughter. I'd be like, hey man, if you want to see little Susie later, you're not going to play that well tonight. Or we're going to, you know, we're going to take our head off. And what are you going to do as a forward, right? Like, you're not going to go out there and play your best game. So there was a lot of corruption. Referees were getting broken legs. And it was crazy Man. shit that was going down there. And I had them tell me the story of these things. And, and yeah, man, it's like I always, I always try to bring people on that I can relate it to sports in one way or another. And if I have a relationship with them, dope. Like I had a friend of mine, Brianna. She won Miss New York hmm. beauty pageants in 2021. And we did jujitsu together. We worked out together at the same gym. And there's a running joke on my show how like my number one draft pick all time is like Olivia Culpo, you know? So it's like Miss Universe. And I was fascinated by beauty pageants. It's like, dude, I know a lot of attractive girls, but like not ones that actually win beauty pageants. What is that like? And there was a clip that went viral that Olivia Culpo actually reposted. She was like, yeah, I'm turning 28. This is my last year to compete. I was like, really? She's like, yeah, dude, I'm considered old at like 26. And I was like, damn, you're like an NFL running back. <laughs> you know, an NFL running back when you're 26 years old, it's like, we got to get mm -hmm. rid of this person. And then, you know, we were laughing about it and Olivia Culpo reposted it. And it was like really cool. But bringing it back to what you asked me, like I always try to have someone on that I'm interested in. I've had celebrities, people can musicians, tell. entertainers. Yeah, and people could tell, man, because, dude, I've had, uh, Blue Wire has been awesome to me. They've reached out to me and told me, like, hey, would you like to speak to so-and-so? And I'll be like, not really, because I'm not interested in, you know, this book they're promoting, because it's a topic that I don't really care about, you know? I've, I've met people that are scientists, and they want to talk about things, and it's like, man, if I bring someone onto my show, my audience knows that this is the case with me. Like, all right, Nick is definitely interested in this topic. I'm not going to do it just to chase clicks mm. or to, you know, it's a big name because it's not authentic to what my show is. And to me, I think finding a lane, finding what your show is about and just not lying to your audience because, dude, in a weird way, they're my employer. Because every opportunity that I've had, and that's how I view it, that's why when people DM me, that's why when people hit me up, I always try to respond to them. And the reason why is because they are the ones that helped build the show up to this standpoint now and have gifted me these opportunities. So if there's no listeners, there's no people riding with you, not much is going to come of it. So it's not lying to your audience, man, and trying to be as transparent as possible you know what you see is what you get with me well they like, know the like they person. see it on yeah. there and they're like oh why is this person on it's like oh they they got them on for the circuit like we can we can miss this one we know what's happening here yeah yeah so that's really it man like recently i had robert mathis he yeah. used to play for the colts he was on my show and like dude he he was actually one of my favorite pass rushers growing up and i told him that and i was like dude you know i opened the conversation like and i hope you don't get offended by this but like you were never the best player at your position mm -hmm. But every football fan that I would talk football with, if they brought you up, that made me understand that, all right, Chase knows football because yeah. this dude's a baller. And he's like, yeah, man, I think that'd be fair. I played with Dwight Freeney. He got all the spotlight and the shine. And he's like, I was underrated my whole career. I was like, yeah, dude, like I felt the same mm -hmm. way. So 
that's that's really it man that's really it as far as like what it goes what goes into like me picking guests and me having people on my show i like it well speaking of your show as we wrap up here uh this afternoon nick what can the good folks check out from you over at uh, veteran veterans minimum this week so this week we did a i have a professional better uh kenny bets big he comes on my show every monday and we kind of do a recap both from a betting perspective and just an nfl perspective what happened in week 12 and then we have this theme called monday winners mm-hmm. where we try to explain to people like do you don't need to wait till sunday to put your bet in like sometimes you're getting some of the best lines and one of the games that i've already bet chase is we took the colts plus 11 and a half on monday now they're a 10 point underdog so it's like we have a point and a half of value that you might have missed if you're listening to this now mm-hmm. um and you know we talk about it like that and then i had a uh, at Bo Templin, he's done some work with DraftKings. He used to work with uh, Vayner Media, Gary V's media company, and uh, we've become really close friends. So I had him on my show. And we were talking about sparring and jujitsu and the men's team. A full preview of the Netherlands game, and then kind of talking about some of these monster matchups in the NFL. So there's a lot of sports betting. We do try to do like a betting for dummies kind of approach, where it's like, look, man. You're you're gonna leave smarter listening to us talk about sports betting, and just like little details like that. So it's at Veterans Minimum as you can find everything for the show. And this was fun, dude. I appreciate the combo, Renaissance man. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this was great. Uh, I greatly appreciate you making the time, Nick. And uh, we'll have to reconnect again soon. Yeah, man. You got to pull up to Vegas, dude. We're trying to get more people from the network to come out here and to record some content. So it'd be fun to connect in person. Oh, that's on the table. Trust me. Like that's uh, that's coming down the pike. The wife uh, has never been. I've never been. And, uh, you know, that will happen very, very soon. So um, and when that does, we uh, we got a pod to do. So, Nick, thank you so much uh, again. And uh, I will talk to you very soon. Yes, sir. This is Ben Ingram, radio voice of the Atlanta Braves, and I'm here to tell you that you've reached the end of today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. As a friend of the podcast, I'd like to say thank you for listening to today's episode and hope you return for the next one. To show your support for the program, tell a friend or coworker or even a family member about the program. And if you're an Apple Podcast listener, leave the show a rating and a review. It goes a long way. That'll do it for me. But don't forget to listen to myself and the rest of the team at 680 The Fan and the Braves Radio Network this season. Go Braves! Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.